you bunch of clowns. You'd want to learn how to say it properly. Moldakabar. <laughs> and you're from it, County Sligo? It's pronounced Moloch Moore. Yeah. Get it right. And that, for the record, is how you pronounce the name of that mutant Irish left-handed slab, Moloch Moore. I'm sure I'm still going to say it incorrectly. Even if I hit all the right notes, my accent isn't there, so it's going to sound incorrect, I'm sure, to the Irish ear. But New Zealand listener Chris Rainbow Johnson couldn't stand me mispronouncing the name of that surf spot, so he took the time to record his Irish mates saying it. Here's another one. How are you? Uh, I'm not from Mullachmore, but that's how it's said. <laughs> Where are you from in Ireland, John? Wexford. Okay, thank you. Mullachmore. 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 All right. I think we got it down. Thanks, Rainbow. Tell your buddies thanks. Tell them the shaming was unnecessary, but I'll take it. Now, if we could just get a Portuguese listener to send in the proper pronunciation for Nazare. My bathing suit's drying on the porch My mother is crying upstairs It's bad man, you bad man And all I want is my Jessica My Jessica, my Jessica My Nezica, my Nezica Mine, 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 mine Welcome back to the show. This is, of course, Surf Splendor, and I am, of course, your host, David Scales. This is not your normal format for the show. So if you're new to the show, this is not what it's normally like. Go back and listen to last week's episode. That'll be a better representation or the week before that. Um, But so many thoughts that I have throughout the week related to surfing never make it into the podcast. If I'm doing an interview with like Sal Masakela from two weeks ago, um, people tune in to hear him. I don't want to front load the show with kind of uh, superfluous, extraneous thoughts and then bum people out who tune in to listen to Sal. But I also don't want to backload the show with a lot of these thoughts because they'll probably just get lost. So I might as well just come out at the beginning of the show and say it, title the show as such, and then you can choose to either listen or not. Um, it's also hard to squeeze these in in my conversations with Scott Bass, the Surf News episodes, because he and I can riff for 90 minutes on the most mundane, yes, I'm fully aware, uh, the most mundane subjects. So today I have um, a review of Jordy's film. I have listener emails and comments that are probably representative of a lot of thoughts that other listeners have had. And so I want to address a few of the most pertinent ones. And uh, I've got a solution to the WSL's judging woes. So this first piece, um, Jimmy Wilson, a.k.a. Jimmy Kane, surf photographer of the former Surfing Magazine, and more impressively in my eyes, actually, is that he's the childhood friend of Emily, uh, is it pronounced Radishkowski? Uh, Emrata is her Instagram handle, guaranteed. You've seen her and you know who she is if you're ever on Instagram. 
Uh, that's very impressive, Jimmy. Well done. So anyways, Jimmy Kane wrote a piece for Stab Magazine that's entitled A Simple Solution to the WSL's Judging Problem. And that's, in fact, a perfect title. That's exactly what it is. It's super simple, straight to the point, and makes a whole lot of sense. I don't know how practical it is, but there's got to be some version of this that's practical. Anyways, Jimmy suggests, quote, Hire ex-pros who continue to follow the sport religiously and can, ju- and can legitimately relate to the top 34's performance at each stop. If Shane Beshin tells you that was an 8.5 and then Richie Porter tells you that was a 7, who are you going to believe? Of course you're going to believe Shane Beshin. Hire him. Hire Damian Hobgood. Hire Taylor Knox. Fred Patachia. Taj Burrow. When Ace Bucken retires, hire him too. They all know much more about surfing than we do. They know the difficulty of each maneuver, which immediately marks us wrong if we disagree, something the current judging panel doesn't warrant. There's a laundry list of people more qualified to determine heat winners and, eventually, world champions than Richie Porta. Listen to Barton Litch speak. Every moment he grabs airtime, he instills direct knowledge. While he may be better suited to rock the mic than the numerical uh, keypad, You can't say he couldn't judge a heat with ease. The fact is, we all think we know how to score a wave based on our commitment to surfing since grommethood, plus watching these events for years and we're passionate about who we believe won each matchup. These judges are not much different than us, end quote. He goes on to say, uh, quote, overall, the WSL has done a commemorable or a commendable job taking professional surfing to the next level. Still, there surely is more work to be done, and better judging must be at the top of that priority list. I think it's a super interesting take. That's the end of the quote. I think it's a very interesting take, and I think it's bizarre to think that multiple times every year there are instances where the top surfers in the world, Kelly Slater, Gabriel Medina, John John Florence, share a consensus in disagreeing with the judges on a given heat. It happens far too frequently. I certainly don't think or have anything against head judge Richie Porta. I don't envy the position that he's in. He'll rarely ever get praised for doing a good job, but he'll certainly always get chastised if he does a poor job. So nothing against Richie. Um, and And I don't even actually know the names of any of the judges on the panel. So nothing against them either. However, if Kelly Slater or any other world champ says that one wave was surfed better than another... I'm going to believe him with zero question, and I'm going to try to learn why he saw it that the way that he did. I don't have the same faith in the judging panel. Now, one other thought that I have for how to improve the judging, I don't know if I actually originated this thought, or maybe I read it, or maybe I cobbled it together with different thoughts that I had read online, but I began talking about it on this podcast years ago. And this is actually a very simple solution that they could implement at Margaret River, as soon as Margaret River. And that is just that you could put the judges in a soundproof booth where they can't hear any of the commentary from the announcers of the event. They can't hear the commentators, but they also can't hear what scores are needed. If it comes down to the end of the heat and a given surfer needs an 8-5 to advance, they shouldn't know that he needs that 8-5. They should watch his final wave or her final wave and then just judge it accordingly. Judge it with the same scale that they judged the rest of the heat at, with the same 
analytics that they've judged the rest of the heat at with the same years and years of experience and training that they judged the rest of the heat at. It seems like a very um, unfair thing for them to know what that guy needs. It just seems like there's going to be undue influence on the score that they ultimately give out. And of course, the judges themselves are subjective. They all have favorite surfers, whether they admit it or not. I guarantee that they do. They have styles that they prefer. They have a country of origin that they come from and that they're going to perhaps sympathize with. Nobody's immune to those subjectivities. And I think that a soundproof booth and not knowing what scores are required in a heat is a very logical first step to creating more objectivity and less controversy. So Jordy Smith just released his first film is what they're calling it um, since 2013. So the first in four years after a film that he did called Now Now. This one is called Just Now. And it's a great commercial and showcase of Cape Town and South Africa with flawless offshore waves, turquoise water, and really majestic drone shots. The film opens with Namibia, that sand bottom, I think they call it Skeleton Bay, the sand bottom below sea level, endless barreling left-hander. The section is a showcase of the wave itself. However, Jordy doesn't present anything close to what we've seen Koa Smith, Benji Brand, and Alex Smith do there. Remember that go-kart barrel that Alex had? The section also gives us a glimpse at Jordy's production crew and the caravan that it is. And it's a fast reminder that Jordy is a millionaire and it zaps a tiny bit of the adventure-seeking mystique from the experience of the placement of Namibia. And it resets the mood with an understanding that surfing, especially on Jordy's level, is a business. One wide drone shot in particular shows that while they're on a very remote beach, there are actually multiple camps and crews set up along the shoreline to document the expedition. It's kind of like when you watch those adventure shows on Nat Geo or whatever, where the host Bear Grylls, or I don't even know who the current hosts are on those types of shows, but whatever survivalist, extreme survivalist host, they're um, scaling some rock face, maybe on a waterfall that's falling on top of them, just barely clinging on with their fingertips and you're kind of, they're teetering on death and you have anxiety watching them until you realize that there's a cameraman filming this whole thing who's, uh, you know, supposedly doing the same exact climb that they're doing only while holding a camera on his shoulder kind of bumps you out of the experience. I feel like that's kind of what we got in that Namibia section when you see four massive truckloads of people there to film presumably just Jordy. Now, Jordy surfing as well as we know him to surf, which of course is unbelievable and like world class caliber, but 
this isn't the best performance we've seen from Jordy. It's not even um, the most impressive stuff I've seen of him in recent years. I love Jordy. He's incredibly smooth, powerful. He gets a ridiculous amount of whip out of those full rotation spins. But again, it's what we already know of Jordy. It's what we expect for him to be able to be doing. There is a few slow motion close-up water shots of him doing those spins that allow the viewer kind of a much more detailed analysis and a deeper appreciation for the difficulty of the rotation. And then he's landing precisely on the falling lip and being able to see the board slide through that is really, really beautiful. Um, but they're not the most incredible airs we've seen from Jordy. So those are the two best shots in the film. His surfing at J-Bay is timeless and nothing short of remarkable. And in fact, I would have been totally okay if Jordy just packaged that section alone into a three-minute edit rather than stick it in the middle of this 20-minute film. I think that that would have actually been a more impactful statement from Jordy. Three minutes at J-Bay. Now... Should we ever see him translate the prowess that he has at J-Bay into a left-handed barreling reef break? He will earn his world title. The edit of Just Now is done by Dane Staples, and it is pretty average. In fact, I would argue it's almost regressive, actually. At its finest moments, it's just neutral, like the J-Bay section, just allowing the gorgeous South African visuals to glisten. In its most ambitious moments, it mimics view from a blue moon with these interstitial B-rolls of local South Africans dancing in the streets with maracas made of Coke can tabs, destitute feral dogs, traffic, colorful buildings, and then that's all multi-layered with high-volume audio cues to kind of further activate a sensor in your brain to simulate the experience of being there in South Africa. At its worst, it utilizes some of the most tired tropes in surf edits. A post-production zoom on Jordy as he exits the barrel timed to an audio sting in the music, the 30 seconds of architecture shots and filming out of the car window at the passing scenery to introduce a new location segment, cutaways to Jordy's confessional style interview in heavily contrasted black and white to add an unnecessary and honestly ineffective drama. There were a number of shots that simply shouldn't have been in the film, some just B quality clips, some very average airs and turns, and in fact, below average for Jordy. The soundtrack includes Metallica's Nothing Even Matters, which they miscredit as Nirvana, Motley Crue's Girls, 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 Guns N' Roses' cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door, which Jordy claimed today on Instagram is actually his favorite song of all time, Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song, and Ozzy Osbourne's Mr. Crowley. Now, this review is really just meant to be a critique. We're in a pretty fantastic time where we get gold every day from around the world in terms of surf footage. And this film could be considered gold. And had it been released five years ago, I think we all would have been happy to pay to watch it. Today, however, we have the luxury of comparing it side by side to an array of other surf videos that came out just this week. So 
I have a limited amount of time to spend watching these surf videos, as I'm sure you do. So if you love Jordy and you want to watch him surf, or you just want beautiful visuals of South Africa, watch just now. If you want to see the limits of progressive surfing being expanded, watch Julian Wilson's Wayward. How many lives must we lose before we understand what's the reason we the people can't trust a fellow man in the moment in the mirror your destiny's at hand where's the preacher with that message quick word about fantasy surfer we host a fantasy surf clubhouse on fantasysurfer.com you can go create a team there for free go to the clubs and search surf splendor you can find us in the clubhouse there's 500 members in that club and it's free to play it's real simple to figure out but we also offer the opportunity to wager on each event. It's a $10 wager per event for the men, 10 bucks for the men's, 10 bucks for the women's. If you want to wager, you can. You can play without wagering too. That's totally cool. This last event at the, the Quick Pro at Snapper, um, there were 44 people wagering in the men's and 15 in the women's. So the winner takes all. And so the winner, Alex Smith, won 440 bucks in the men's division. And then the winner of the women's won 150 bucks. So not a paltry prize purse. It was the biggest prize purse we've actually ever seen. But I'm mentioning all of this to remind you that if you want to play at Margaret River, that's in four days from when I'm recording this podcast. So I think the event actually starts March 27th or 28th. And we're not going to be publishing another podcast before then. So go ahead and set your team now. Get your wager in if you want to wager. You could figure out how to do the wager on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And there's a tab for Fantasy Surfer. It explains how to send it via PayPal. So do that. And in regards to Fantasy Surfer, we mentioned, Scott and I mentioned in our last show, a comment from Dave over at SurfStats, surf-stats.com. Well, it turns out we miscredited that entire comment. That was actually, uh, well, I'll just read you. I got a comment on surfsplendorpodcast.com from, I think it's pronounced Balin McDonald. Great podcast, gentlemen. I was humbled to hear your kind words in reference to surf stats this episode. My buddy Dave, who helps out here from time to time, was especially stoked to have my article credited to him repeatedly. Thanks for stroking his egos, guys. Surf Stats is a small site that, like you guys, exists only on the back of of reader generosity. It is a real bonus to have established media like your podcast referencing our stuff, especially since I'm an avid listener and fanboy. If you ever want to chat numbers, just let me know. So, end quote. So I apologize for that mistake, Balin, even though I think it was Scott who made it. I'll apologize for him. Balin is the head writer and manager for Surf Stats. If you play fantasy, you should check out their site. They offer some interesting information. They Their other writer there, who the aforementioned Dave Bradley backed up my sentiment that Joel Parkinson is one of the style icons. Bassie and I 
who were arguing um, about style on the world tour, and he was asking who on tour has style on par with Rob Machado or Craig Anderson. I threw out Parco, who I think is actually a great argument, but he disagreed, and then a bunch of listeners messaged me to disagree. So I bashfully recanted on the next show, only to have other listeners like Dave chime in, telling me not to recant. Dave said, quote, Parco is, in my humble eyes, the undisputed king of style. His surfing is textbook, fast, fluid, and free, with buckets of power to boot. Ando be damned, end quote. So with Dave to back me up, I'm restaking my claim that Parco is the style master. Dave actually also commented, agreeing with my kook of the week last week uh, when I called out Ronnie Blakey for picking on Pete Mel in the commentary booth at the Quick Pro. I only got one tweet about that during the event itself, so I thought maybe I was the only guy noticing it, but I mentioned it on this show and immediately had a number of people message me completely agreeing. One comment on surfsplendorpodcast.com from Bruce in Austin, Texas, who apparently just started listening to the show, said, quote, As a new listener, you had won me over as a fan immediately when you noticed that Ron Blakey was being a dick to Pete Mel. Dude, Wow, it was so obvious. I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to know if he was bitter that he lost Ross. Maybe Ronnie just doesn't like Pete and was happy to have him in the water for a quick assessment of the conditions. Or maybe Pete Mel just knows a lot more about surfing and conditions and hasn't earned Ronnie's respect yet. I don't know, but it's stuff like that that fascinates me as a fan. The -the behind-the-scenes stuff, the controversies, end quote. So, Thank you for that, Bruce, and uh, welcome to the show. The weirdest thing about that whole thing is that Ronnie was actually is my favorite commentator, and I've always really liked his critical but kind analysis of people surfing. I've never seen that side of Ronnie, so it was weird to hear him be rude. Anyway, since I recorded that last show, Ronnie actually posted what seems to be somewhat of a public amends to Pete Mel on Instagram. Ronnie wrote, quote, Cop an eyeful of my dear friend Pete Mel, who surfs small waves just as well as the big stuff. We joke a bunch, but I got mad respect for this man, and I'm overjoyed to be his wingman on the WSL commentary team in 2017. Thanks for the epic first event, Condor. Next stop, Margie's, end quote. The caption was alongside a video of Pete Mel surfing in this brand new edit that just dropped from Kyle Boothman. The video is called The Executioner. And the video is actually pretty sick, and Pete is absolutely ripping. So you can watch that over on my website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. There's a rustle, the voices, voices in the trees. Hear him singing, hear him shouting, it's what you believe. And in closing, I just wanted to take a brief moment to acknowledge people who have left comments on the website and those of you who have sent emails, some of which I have not replied to quite yet. I do always appreciate it, and I actually do read them. Some of them are so detailed that uh, I want to give a very detailed response back, which requires time, so I'll just 
archive them or put them off for a little bit. Um, the short ones I can usually just fire back a quick response to. But at any rate, a couple of them. Jason Lados, your comment about creating an experience rating system to be visible on the beach, advising less experienced surfers to stay out of the water. This was in reference to um, my must-see, no, it was actually a kook of the week two or three shows ago. The kid Mo Rama, who learned how to surf in a wave pool, is a crazy wipeout clip. It's a wipeout of the year uh, nominee for this year. I think the kid was 15 years old. He was young. But anyways, he learned how to surf in the wave pool in the United Arab Emirates. And his first venture to the ocean, he went to Ireland and he got towed into a 15-foot slab at Mullagmore. Did I say that right? Anyway, um, it goes disastrously. And so Jason Lados just sent a detailed email about we should need to create this experience rating system if we're going to have all these people learning how to surf and not they're only learning how to get up on a surfboard and ride it. They're not learning the etiquette of the ocean and just, you know, the dangers that are involved in the actual ocean, then they probably shouldn't paddle out into uh, threatening conditions. So thanks for that, Jason Lados. Brad, I'm going to mispronounce your last name, Roy Schlitzer who just said very kind things about the show. Um, thank you for that, Bradley. I really appreciate it. Pedro Dormal, whose um, first language isn't even English, but sent a really great email sharing his thoughts on the Quicksilver Pro and noticing that since Gabriel Medina's dad, Charlie, is suspended from the first few events, he said, Gabriel just seemed to be happier and more jovial. I'm not sure whether or not that's true. Um, I know it's true that uh, his dad was suspended uh, for, I, I forget how many events it was. We talked about it on the show. But um, I'm not sure if it's true or not that Gabriel seemed happier. But it's definitely interesting if that is true and if those things are related. Maybe it's just less pressure on Gabe. Maybe Charlie's adding too much pressure. Who knows? Interesting insight, though. Thanks for that, Pedro. Daniel Sales, your email about being puzzled by the WSL's judging you are not alone. Otto from Kamanu Composites, the canoe builder over on Oahu, I believe, um, just emailed today asking if there's a trick to picking your fantasy team so that you don't have surfers match up against each other in the early rounds. Friendly fire, as we call it. I don't know if there's a trick, Otto. I have to imagine that there probably is a way that the WSL seeds. Obviously, you can check for the heat draw in round one, but I don't know how it breaks down from that point on. Obviously, you don't know who's going to win round one and skip to round three, and so it'd be difficult to pick your team trying to anticipate what's going to happen in round two and three and beyond that. But I really think that that's probably a good question for our friends over at Surf Stats, if you want to get a hold of them. And then Otto also asked about the email that Sal Masakela referenced about Ross Williams, Ross-isms, his metaphors, many clever and colorful metaphors that Ross Williams offered in the commentary book, uh, booth. He asked if I could send that email over. Nope, I cannot. Alex Smith left a great comment on surfsplendorpodcast.com about how the low viewership or I'm sorry, how low the viewership was for the WSL's 
Facebook live stream on the Quicksilver Pro. He said that the lowest number he saw was 100 viewers and that the highest number he saw was 1,200. He compares that to YouTubers who have millions of subscribers and hundreds of thousands of viewers for their daily vlogs and points out that it's obvious that Samsung would pull funding and questions the entire viability of the tour if those are real numbers. So it's a great question, Alex, and a great insight. I did not tune into that Facebook live stream. I just watched it on the WSL's uh, website, which, of course, those numbers are not public. So it is interesting that you uh, caught that. I know that this, the events used to be streamed on YouTube, I think, last year or the year before. And those numbers actually were viewable as well, and they were shockingly low. So... Um, yeah, it does question if the whole business model for the WSL is built on viewership and the growth of, uh, you know, the potential viewership explaining to those sponsors that this is going to grow uh, into huge numbers like snowboarding and skating. We're able to kind of validate that it hasn't really grown to those projections yet. So thanks for that, Alex. Anyway, there are plenty of other great emails and comments. The comments are totally public and viewable on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I'm actually going to be reorganizing that system soon to make it easier just to view and to access and to maintain message threads. I'll have more on that soon. But I'd love to just create an online community for us that, um, you know, everybody that listens to the show, I get all these emails, but I'd like to kind of make this conversation a little bit more public. We have such great insight from listeners. A lot of people work in the industry, of course, um, and have access to all sorts of gossip that they share with me at times. And a lot of it, I actually swear to not share on this show. Um, some stuff I just send to beach grit and let them deal with, you know, and not attach my name to it. Uh, so, but anyway, it'd be great to have all that information available for every, all the other listeners to access. So I'm going to be, uh, doing that soon. So look for that. And everything else that I chatted about in this show, you can find on surfsplendorpodcast.com, Jordy's edit, Pete Mel's edit, all that stuff, fantasy surfer related things. And then of course, follow on social media at Surf Splendor. It's a great way actually to share comments. That's one comment section that is very easily organized and that I'm more able to access and respond to in a much more timely fashion. So engage on social media at Surf Splendor. You could tweet me. And then, of course, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Surf Splendor. All right. That's a 30-minute bonus episode for you this week. I hope that you enjoy your weekend. Um, get your team in place for the Margaret River event, Drug Aware Pro. Are we still calling it that this year? Are they still a sponsor? I don't know. We'll see. Lots to anticipate with Owen Wright in the lead going into Margaret. So super exciting time. Hope that you enjoyed this new format of the show. Feel free to give me feedback about it in any of those places that I stated. And then also one last comment. The music for today's episode was actually pulled from old episodes of Surf Splendor. I recently created an archive on Spotify of all of those past episodes music in one playlist. So 
It was always archived on Spotify with individual episodes. So you could just, if you like the music in episode number 26, you could go find episode 26 and it's all right there. Well, in addition to that now, I have one, I think it's a 14 hour long playlist with every song from every episode. And the songs in this episode were pulled directly from the archives, stuff that I've loved in the past and had forgotten about in recent years. Major Lazer's Jessica, Brad's Bound in Time, which um, Brad is a band formed by one of the dudes who's in Pearl Jam. I forget who, but um, Brad never took off, but they've got some rad, rad tracks. So that's what that was from. And uh, again, you can find these on Spotify. Just search Surf Splendor, all one word, or go to surfsplendorpodcast.com and click on the music link and you can find it there. All right. Final word, if you want to donate, contribute to this show by donating, you can do that too. We're um, suggesting like a $5 monthly donation. It's a subscription. You get billed automatically. You don't even have to think about it. You won't even notice it missing from your account. That's what I would argue. All right, so check that out also on our website. All right, enough of me talking. Get back in the water. Get a couple waves. Shred on.